The issue of the ridiculous. The goddess is in repose. She sits in the sun, admiring her clean legs, propped up on her desk, wrapped in her favorite kimono with matching coffee cup cuteness and fingernail polish named some peachy pun. Her exercise this morning was official joy bopper of Portland, Maine. Her route took her down to the commercial street. Each step had an extra shimmy. So relieved was she to be off the floor. She waited a while in line outside for a morning bun with nuts, dancing there with an audience behind her, audacious hopefulness, maybe not glee, but a firm declaration of being a peg above, barely holding on. Ever beautiful John Baptiste and his sweet beats tickling her feet. A woman in 10 degrees in the sun, holding a high-level baked delight in her sticky mitten, wandering past cops she hopes will smile at her. She hopes everyone will smile at her. She mostly hopes sad little old ladies will spy her by surprise and be lifted a little. Such is her medicine. She repeats her dose for herself and is very generous to sprinkle herself unabashedly all around town. She pops by the water, past the lady train conductor and the people lucky enough to own dogs and have a reason to talk to each other. I marvel each time I make it to the Eastern Vista, a sparkling show of beauty, best tasted as a canapé, which only comes around the party once on the loop. If I lived upon the Vista, I'm afraid I'd eat it all the time and get full and forget its special flavor. After all these years, on the same ocean path, it still illuminates me, pressure washes the barnacles off the ballast of my heart and leaves her cutting through the water more swiftly nearly every time. Such is a good love in the form of a town. Bopping back across town, I dip in to pick up a box of items and it feels exciting just to have an errand. Such is a simple delight on a sunny Saturday. A bougie bop into the hipster corner store produces two pieces of fruit for $7. I'm a bit embarrassed by the sum, but I tell myself, you've had a hell of a week and deserve your old-fashioned sans teratogenic fungicides. I wish I bought three and could juggle them while bopping them home, but then I think, don't be ridiculous. This issue of the ridiculous has come to the forefront. To be myself out and out, through and through, seems to persist with the sweet stench of the ridiculous and I cannot wash it off no matter what soap. And I'm nauseous from covering my innate smell with a fake-ass perfume called Eau de Doctor. The soul has died in her, and the white coat was barely concealing the necrosis. So with the doctor in the body bag, dragged out the back, and waiting for the ground to thaw so we can bury her, we return back to the woman who remains 
And here enters the ridiculous. She wants all the funds, all the gaudy baubles, a sapphire so heavy she'd need a little man to hold up her hand under its weight. She wants jewel-toned velvet tuxedo pants, Italian black flats, and God damn it, why does smoking have to be bad for you? It would pull the whole outfit together. That, plus her Hermes silk scarf, wrapped twice around her neck like she's always done, and jauntily knotted at the side. This breath of fresh air wants to parade around her tiny three rooms, entertaining one person at a time, welcoming them with teas to choose, installing them on her well-appointed velvet couch, inviting them to enjoy where they are, soaking in the not crackling but still very realistic looking fire in the fireplace. Oh, the ambiance is half her medicine or more. The stage set so thickly with maximalist accents everywhere, you can't help but feast your eyes on its beauty. This off-Broadway production has all the glam of the real thing But then, the witch takes the stage. She will urge her guest to keep talking while she makes up their potions, taking glass bottles from her cupboard, pouring dark liquids into tiny lined beakers, using a tiny stainless steel funnel to put the goods where they belong, and she labels her medicine by hand with pen and highlighter and shaky lines and even a tiny heart sticker if they won't think that's too weird. And she'll type up all the thoughts she's had as the theater witch, and they come out looking just like what you'd expect at a medicine dispenser, but the delivery, she fears, borders on the ridiculous. So self-conscious is she of her one-woman show, but as she knows, we know, She's the only essential worker we've got. The show must go on. Last night, without an audience, I pulled three cards to tell me exactly what's true that I couldn't see without their help. First, they said, you to bomb, step the fuck out, get on with your bad self, the door is open, walk through. The second card said, your only job is to celebrate. This is a time of fullness, security, and knowing your place in the community. You are loaded with everything you need. Your soup is sweet and rich and just came to a simmer. Welcome to your party. The third card said, all is pretty fucking terrible. You've been devastated. All you love has been lost, and it asked if my heart was poisoned by all that reality sucks stuff. But could I let that go in the face of being the bomb and having arrived at the sweet soup party? So my answer is yes. All this heartbreak has eroded me down to a smooth nub of granite still with sparkling bits in certain light, 
I've lost ridges and contours I used to have just by the brute force of life upon me. But given all that's true, that life is astonishingly, devastatingly hard, and you get bitter at that mouth-puckering flavor of loss after so long, still, I can't deny that when I get up off the floor, that bitch still has some real sassy swagger, and her bounce is only building. If she says she only works in these ridiculous conditions of luscious luxury, of color and pattern and play, and she wants to mix that with medicine and see what comes out of the oven, then we better just stand back and see what this badass has in mind there in her kitchen. The choice she has as she puts her finishing touches on her meal is whether she will secretly spit in it when no one is watching, letting her spite, her vengeance, her sorrow pickle her heart and take it from syrup to sauerkraut. Can she let go of the need to punish herself, her ex, her patience, her culture, and God herself for all her hardship? Or can she forgive them all, seeing all that has been taken from her and how beaten and bruised she's felt laying on the floor, barely able to lift her head from that vantage point? She can see how a person gets fed up and can die. But when they don't, they have a choice to bring all that bitter rage with them or leave it lie, dust herself off slowly, smoothing out her skirts as she stands again, and step back into the kitchen to see what she feels like cooking. I have a feeling what she makes from here on out will taste nothing like her old recipes. She could be justified in sprinkling just a pinch of that poison into her dish, but it would be detected by all who ate it, even if they couldn't put their finger on what it was. Forgiveness of life has a way of washing down, of washing everything down, like a big drink after a feast, especially when those bitter fucking concoctions from life's medicine cabinet leave their taste in your mouth. Can she let go or does she have to make life suffer with her? That's really the most important part of the recipe. Sometimes what you leave out is more important than what you put in. And if she's tempted to cheat, which I hope she won't, it will just taste off going down. And she'll know, she'll just know, even if everyone else loves it.